G'day and welcome to the podcast of Outpost Church in McLaren Vale. We hope you find this encouraging. encourage everyone to grab a Bible because we're going to read through a few passages and really I just want to bring attention to and highlight the Word of God and and what's in the Word of God because it is life-changing and the truth sets us free and we know life with Jesus so much more than just what's written in a book. Um, He is the way, the truth and the life but through the Word of God, through the Bible, we get to, he works through that and he reveals to us this truth. And it's such a powerful method that he speaks to us. And um, it's so good when we can look at it together and read together. And he's here in our midst, eager to reveal to us his truth. Like that's, the, the spirit is here to lead us into all truth. And we can't learn or receive anything from God without his spirit revealing to us. Like it's, this is not something that we can ever acquire just through intellectual knowledge or understanding. That can only take us so far, but it's not nearly far enough. We need the Holy Spirit to reveal things. We need him to work in our lives. We are powerless to change or to grow or to do anything. And I don't know if you read my um, email that I thought I sent yesterday, but I actually ended up getting sent today. But Um, I've shared a little sort of thoughts and devotion around the idea of growth and, um, yeah, how we grow. So I hope you can read that as well. Um, I want to start with looking at John chapter 17, verse 20 to 23. You're welcome to look as well, Shiloh. I pray not only for these. So this is Jesus praying just before he goes to the cross and he's praying for his disciples. But it says here, I pray not only for these, John 17, verse 20. I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word, which includes us because we believe in Jesus through the word of those apostles and those disciples. We Um, believe through their words so this is Jesus praying directly for us in the Bible I think that's really powerful and significant that this is a this is Jesus heart for us this is what Jesus prays for us and for his church Um, may they all be one as you father are in me and I am in you may they also be in us so that why all this oneness, so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me. So he's giving us the same glory that God gave Jesus. So that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me so that they may be made completely one, that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. I feel like this passage and this prayer is so under-highlighted. Like, this is the heart of God. Like, this is Jesus' heart for his people, for his church. It says one a lot of times, and 
He wants us to be one. This is his desire. This is his will. Um, and he's passionate about it. It's something that I feel really passionate about, being the body of Christ together. And, you know, it is so tempting, I think, sometimes to just operate and learn and grow in our faith as an individual and to be on our own journey. And I think in our culture, we really um, give that a lot of weight, like that individual solo walk with God. And that has its, that's obviously important. We all have our individual walk with God and responsibility with God. But throughout the Bible, people were addressed in community groups, in, in nation groups, in family groups. They, it was never just about one individual. And, you know, Jesus is coming back not just for a bunch of individuals. He's coming back for a bride. He's coming back for a body. The way that we're described as his people, if you look at um, Ephesians, turn to Ephesians uh, chapter 4. Verse 13 says, or sort of start in the middle of 12, but it's talking about the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son. So here again, it's talking about oneness. It's talking about unity. And that the goal is that we're growing into maturity, we're growing into unity, we're growing into a oneness in Christ. And that's so key as well. We're not, our oneness, our unity is never around anything except Jesus. Like he is the head and we are the body. And just like think of the human body, such a perfect illustration, surprisingly. Um, You know, every part is directed by the head, right? Like whatever the brain says to do, the parts of the body respond in perfect response. And if they don't, there's something wrong with the body. There's some thing that needs fixing. And and this is the, you know, and what a picture of unity and oneness. Like how more one can you get than being one person? You can't really get more one than that. And and it it's hard to get our heads around. Obviously, that's why we need the Spirit's revelation. The goal of what Jesus is after, what he's seeking for, is so much more than what we think it is. That we can settle very quickly for a certain version or understanding of Christianity or faith. And we need to constantly be in the Word, constantly asking the Lord to reveal to us what is he wanting? What is his vision? What is his dream? What's his plan? It's bigger than what we think it is. And Ephesians 3 tells us that more than we, you know, think, dream, or imagine is what he has in store. So we can't comprehend it. We need him to reveal it to us. But he wants this kind of unity in the body that is like a physical body that works together that well. And just like the body, it is diverse. There's diverse parts with, that do all sorts of different things. But the thing that unites it is the head. Everyone in submission You know, if we are all living with Jesus as our Lord, we're in submission to him, we're obedient to him. What he desires, we desire. What he wants, we want. What he does, we do. Then it's just naturally going to be that the the rest of us, you know, that we're in unity with one another. If we're in unity with him, if we're in submission to him, that should just be a natural outwork. Easy. 
from him, in verse 16, from him, the whole body fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. And we see tastes of this and we've all experienced, I think, this to a measure, like just today to hear the testimony shared, you know, that's building us up, that's encouraging us, that's strengthening us. That we all have a part to play. We all have something to bring. And, and we work together. Not just on a Sunday, but throughout our lives. But this is one expression of, of that. Why is it then that there is such a gap sometimes between this picture here of what Jesus desires and what he's after and what he's looking for and what our reality has been? Has anyone experienced you know, when you think of this image of one body working so perfectly together, so beautifully together, I mean, has anyone experienced church or community life that's that <coughs> would be the picture of it? Like this perfect, seamless, oneness, diverse, not controlled, but in submission to Jesus. It's really, it's a picture of perfection, really. And, and Jesus returning for a bride that's without spot or wrinkle. The people of God together. I, I've got a commentary on the book of Ephesians and its tagline really intrigued me because it says, a new society. And I was like, wow, that's interesting that that person, that commentator who spent heaps of time in Ephesians, that was his way of summing up what Ephesians was about. This new society. Jesus looking for a whole new society, a new humanity. And what I'm excited, I guess, to share about today and to unpack a little bit, I want to turn to Romans chapter 5, is that I think this is where the gap, there's a gap between this vision and this idea and our reality and our experience. But, you know, I believe what Jesus has done and what he's come for you know, he's not just come to give us a lot, a lot of good theories, a lot of good ideas, a lot of things that sound nice, but you never actually ever see in practice. That's not what he's come for. He's come to bring real change and real, um, yeah, a new way of doing things, a new way of being humanity. That's what he's come to do. And he has actually accomplished that. But sometimes our ignorance of what he's accomplished and our limited understanding of what he's affected can get in the way of our living that out. But this is part of our submission to Christ, is that wherever we come in scripture to things that we go, the way that I'm thinking or the way that I'm living is actually not in alignment with what Jesus is saying. I need to submit that, I need to change that, I need to repent, turn, change my thinking, and come into alignment with what he's saying because he's the head and I'm a part of his body and I follow him and I live in the light. We're called to be children of the light and it's not just a pipe dream. It's not just a oh, way off one day maybe we'll... Like, he has come for more, I believe. He, Jesus has come for more than just giving us a hope for heaven or eternal life, which in itself would be more than enough. But
But when we read the gospel, we discover what he's done, what he's accomplished is powerful for this life as well as the next. Um, and we don't want to miss out on that through ignorance. Like it says, I think, is it Nazario? It's like, forget not all his benefits. We're at risk sometimes of not knowing what his benefits are and missing out on what he has for us and what he has paid in his blood for us to have and to experience. And we are getting ripped off. And that's a tragedy. Um, let's read this together. We'll start from verse 12. And I shared a bit on this last year, actually, about the second. Jesus is the second, or actually not the second Adam, the last Adam. There's not going to be any others. He's the last Adam. So, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way, death spread to all people because all sinned. Just faith, uh, sorry, Romans 5 verse 12. We're now at 13, just in case you missed it. just think it's really important that we all read these words and read what's in the Bible. In fact, sin was in the world before the law, but sin is not charged to a person's account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who did not sin in the likeness of Adam's transgression. He is a type of the coming one. I think that's interesting that that differentiation before the law came it's like Moses bringing the law kind of shed light on the fact that people were sinning but the fact was the, they 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 were still sinning whether they knew it or not but when the law came it was like that awareness yes this is sin nevertheless death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those who did not sin in the likeness of Adam's transgression he is a type of the coming one but the gift so this is the gift that Jesus brings is not like the trespass of Adam. For if by the one man's trespass, the many died, how much more have the grace of God and the gift which comes through the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflowed to the many? And the gift is not like the one man's sin, because from one sin came the judgment resulting in condemnation. But from many trespasses came the gift, resulting in justification. Since by one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? So then, as, the, as through one trespass there is condemnation for everyone, so also through one righteous act there is justification leading to life for everyone. Hallelujah. For just as through one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so also through the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. The law came along to multiply the trespass, but where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is good news. This is powerful. This idea that Jesus has come to undo what Adam did. And I think, you know, we may be relatively familiar with this and um, this idea that he... 
you know, he's come to set us free, he's come to bring righteousness and to forgive us. But maybe I think something that we sometimes are less clear on is what that, how that works out in our lives and, and what that looks like. It's not just a theory, it's not just an idea. This has real life implications. Um, but I think a key thing is to remember the, the comparisons being made between Adam and Jesus. And I think the two things that I think really stand out to me about Adam did, it affected everyone for this life and then when you die, like you die. It's like during your life you had suffering and then you ended with death. And if Je- what Jesus has done is even more powerful than what Adam did, it makes sense that he's not just dealing with something that happens after we die. It's like he's able to bring change for this life. And then when we, our physical bodies die, it's really just our bodies disappear, but we go on. It's that there's no real loss at death. He's completely undoing what Adam did. And I think we have sometimes this tension or this, because we're in our physical body still, and we know, it talks a lot about the body in the Bible and that it's mortal and that it's just a tent, it's like a jar of clay, it's limited, it's, it's struggles, it's weak, and we're aware of that. And it's in that place, you know, Jesus comes to dwell in us, his spirit is a deposit of the inheritance to come, which is the immortal, eternal life that we inherit at death, at physical death. But we have the Holy Spirit given to us now and we are, we are a new creation. Like on the inside, we become a new creation. So what's on the outside now is kind of um, deceptive. Like that doesn't really give, that's not the truth of who we are on the inside now. And we're going to keep reading because Romans 6 really hammers this home. And I think it's important when we read scripture, we read like in big chunks of it. So we get the whole message of what's being said here. And so it's pointing out that despite sin multiplying, God's grace has come and multiplied. And so his grace is so amazing. You almost go, Paul says here, what should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. And this idea of continuing sin, because sometimes they think, oh, God's come, he forgives our sins, great, he's so merciful, just, he'll forgive us, so it doesn't matter if we sin or not. And that's kind of this idea, like, what, it doesn't matter if you sin, it's okay, God will forgive you. No, absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self, so the old man, the old nature, was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless. So yes, this physical body has been ruled by sin, but it's been rendered powerless, so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin, since a person who has died is freed from sin. So under the law, Jesus sees us like we've died. We don't, we're not under the law because we've died with him. We're freed from being under that law. We've We've been liberated from that, and we're alive in him. 
Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all time. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So what's our relationship to sin? We can still sin. And a lot of people get antsy about this because it can sound like we're, it's talking about sinless perfection and perfectionism. That's not what's being said here. The capacity to sin is there. It's present. We have been free to choose. Before we had to sin. Now we've been free to choose. We can choose to sin. And sadly we still do. But we're not ruled by sin anymore. Sin's no longer the master. We don't have to. That's not the default anymore. But if we think that we're still in that position, then we probably are going to sin more than necessary. If that makes sense. Consider yourselves. So we have a role to play here. We have to think about ourselves as dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That says we are a new creation in Christ. The old has gone. The new has come. Something fundamentally has completely changed. On the inside, we are completely different. Even though on the outside, we retain our fallen or you know, mortal bodies. On the inside, the change has been... The change has happened. We are in Christ. We died with him and we are now living with him. And it's not about us. It's not about us being great. It's about him being great. But we are in him. And like we heard in that prayer in John 17, that's his desire. He wants us in him, uh, in the Father, in him, all together, living in the freedom of being in righteousness and holiness, which works out in how we live. We We don't have to live sinning all the time. We're freed from that. We can walk righteous. We can walk holy. We walk in the light as he is in the light. Holy living is essential to the life of a Christian. It's not an additional extra. It's fundamental. And because this is what he's paid for. He's paid for our ability and our capacity to walk as he walked because he wants us to represent him well. Not just in our humility. Not just in our seeking forgiveness when we fall or stuff up, which we still do. But in our righteousness, in our holiness, in our generosity, in our joy, in our, our passion, in our friendship, in our, you know, our love for other people, we are to represent him. And we're able to now because of what he's done. Listen to how this finishes in verse 12. It doesn't really finish. You should read the whole of Romans because it's like the most powerful blow-by-blow theology, like systematic that you could come across in the Bible. Therefore, do not let, so we can still let this happen. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. And do not offer, so we can choose to do this. Do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law but under grace. This is the, this is the good news. And this, what I'm excited about and what I want to make the connection with is 
this is the gap, I think, that comes in between us and God, but us and one another and us and fellowship. And the only way that we can come into alignment and, and be the bride that Jesus wants us to be, to be the body he wants us to be, is to take hold of what he has done for us because we can't do it without him. We can't do it without receiving what he's done and bringing our thoughts in alignment, bringing our words in alignment, bringing our actions into alignment with what he says and does. Without him, it's impossible. But abiding in him, receiving from him, believing that this is true, that you are free from sin. You don't have to choose to sin. He's, he's freed us to walk as he walks. This is where the battle lies. Whether we believe this and, and walk in it, or whether we think we're still stuck, we're still trapped, to constantly repeat the same mistakes, constantly do the same sins, that, oh, I'm just always going to struggle with this. That's not what the Bible says. Yes, there's, there's always compassion, there's understanding, there's grace. But there's no need to stay stuck because the truth is we are free from sin. And when we walk in the light as he is in light, we have fellowship with one another. And that's the goal, to be in fellowship, to love him, to love each other, to not have anything come between us. To not feel like we have to hide in shame and pull away and isolate. We can come together, we can enjoy the fellowship that he longs for us to have. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. And we are free. Free to believe him, free to choose, free to walk with him as our master, as our head, or not to. We still have that choice. He's actually not trying to control us. Like sin was our master and gave us no option. Jesus doesn't do that. He gives us the option. We can still sin. We can still choose other things apart from him as Lord. But, but why would you when freedom is on the table? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have gone to such great lengths to free us and you have such an amazing vision for life for us. What you want for us is so much better than what we even desire for ourselves. Lord, help us, forgive us when we settle for second best, when we settle for less than what you've paid for and what you've brought for us. Lord, may we be willing vessels your spirit may we be humble servants may we be willing to believe and receive what you've said and what you've spoken and what you've done and lord may you use us as your children as your people in this place to do great damage to the kingdom of darkness in this place amen